Chelik Tezayin, volume 16, the third sicha for Parshas Nishpatim. This sicha focuses on two rules in money litigation matters, which appear in this week's Parsha and connects the two. The Rebbe will also take it to a deeper level, namely by explaining it from the prism of Hasidus, of the deeper meaning of things, which is once how it expresses itself and how it gets translated into one service with Hashem. This Sicha, that means this essay that we're studying now, is actually a compilation. It's part of a Sicha of a talk that the Rebbe gave once and a Hasidic discourse, a mimer, which the Rebbe delivered at another time. Now, to start off, in order to better understand the Sicha and to be able to flow through it more easily, I think it's worthwhile for us to familiarize ourselves with uh, the halacha, with the rule of mode bemiktas. Literally translated is one who makes a partial admission. Now, what is the rule? In short, the rule is that if a plaintiff, a complainant, complainant um, demands of the defendant, let's just say $100, comes to Besdin, comes to the court and says he owes me $100. And the defendant says... Well, I only owe you 50. That means there's a partial admission in the total claim. Then the rule is, the Torah says, Chayev Shua. He is obligated to swear. That means he has to make an oath that that's indeed what he owes and he doesn't owe the rest. If he cannot make the oath or he refuses to take the oath, then obviously he has to pay the full amount. Okay? Just in short, what is the logic behind this um, this rule? Although it's, quote, a... It seems to be a biblical decree, but the sages give it some logic, and the idea behind it is that since one typically would have a hard time in denying the whole thing, especially considering that the person loaned him the money or was kind to him, benevolent to him, so it's very difficult for one to sum up the chutzpah to really totally and absolutely deny it. So the person kind of does a partial admission, he's kind of wishy-washy, and in the back of his mind, he justifies it with thinking, hey, look, when I get the money, you know, I'll slip it under his door, I'll pay him for it, and so I'll pay him up the rest, and so on. Now, it's important to note that this rule, that moda mimixas, that one is, if one is uh, partially admits to a claim, that one is obligated to take an oath, this is only if it has a partial admission to the entire claim. Let me explain. Let's say, for example, the plaintiff, as they're walking in, the plaintiff and the defendant, as they're walking into the Besden, the defendant turns to him and says, look, I know I owe you $50. Or he gives him $50. So now, when the plaintiff turns around and says, oh, no, 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 you owe me $100. Now, what is the total claim? The total claim is not on $100. The total claim is on $50. And that $50 the defendant is totally denying, absolutely denying. And therefore, he would not be chayiv shvua, he would not be obligated to take an oath, oath, because this does not fall under the rules, the criteria of what the Torah spells out for a moda bemiktas, for one who partially admits. Because he didn't partially admit, he totally denied the rest of the claim that was left. So again, just to recap, it's only if the, play, the, the defendant is admitting partially, whether it's 50%, 20%, whatever it may be, to the total claim that the plaintiff is making against him. Now, 
Where does this connect to our Parsha? Well, if you look in our Parsha, you look in chapter 22, verse 8, it says over there, Al cold var pesha. On any matter of misappropriation, or literally pesha means a felonious matter, and then it says, and an ox, and a donkey, and so on, da 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 da, al kol aveda, for any lost item, asher yomar ki huzeh, that he says, meaning he, the defendant says, ki huzeh, this is it. What does that mean, this is it? It's as if he's pointing and he says, this part of it I owe, this part of it I don't owe, this part of it I admit, this part I deny, this part I agree, this part I disagree. So there is where the sages learned out that that's when you complete the verse which says, Ad helukim uh, uh, yavod until the court of the uh, of the rabbis, of the, of the judges, that is, should come the matter of both of the meaning, they both, he has to swear, and then like I said previously, if he cannot swear, or he refuses to swear, he doesn't want to swear, then he will have to pay the whole thing. Let, let's go into the Sikha now. So in our Parsha, in chapter 24, verse 14, it says over there, Omar, and to the elders he said, he said to them, you stay here, blah, 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 dot, 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 and then he says, Mi bal that anyone who has a legal matter should approach you. This is what Moshe said to them. In other words, we're going to go up there and look into the verses. You see exactly the context of what it's talking about. But on these words, Mi bal whoever has a matter, a legal matter, a legal issue, should approach you. The Talmud says, the Gemara says that we learn from this, that first you attend to, first you attend only to the arguments of the claimant. In other words, the one who is the bald the one who has the legal matter that approaches you, that's who you deal with first. You start with him first, you allow him to give his argument first, and only after that do you turn to the defendant to hear what his uh, part of the case is, what his argument is. Okay? So the Shach, now who is the Shach? The Shach is the, one of the primary commentaries and halachic authorities, primary commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. Thus, he is a halachic authority because without him and the other primary commentaries, we don't understand thoroughly and correctly what the Shulchan Aruch is really saying, what the law should be. Who is the Shach? In short, he was one of the seventh, is one of, is a great Talm- Talmudist from the 17th century. His name was Reb Shapsi ben Meir HaKohen, and he's known by his work as Shach, which is abbreviation for Siftei Kohen, which means the lips of the priest. He was a Kohen. So in any way, in any case, the Shach, he explains that what is behind this, what is the idea that the Torah says that first you turn to, first you listen to, first you accept that the, the, the complaint or the testimony, the argument of the plaintiff or the complainant, why? Why do you why do you why do you accept that first? He says because this has a ramification in the din in the rule of mode bemiktas. You see, you recall that we said that if the defendant goes and pays first or admits that he has to pay, essentially that is obligating himself. Only afterwards the uh, the 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 the, um, the toveya, which is the the complainer, the one who bring in, bring in the complaint, if only afterwards he gives his argument, then it's all lost, and he'll never ever ha- be forced 
into becoming a mode of emiktas, a partial admission. And that is not good because then he loses out because if you don't force him to swear, he totally, he totally denied the totality of the claim. And then what happens is the onus turns right back around to the plaintiff, to the complainant, and he has to now prove that the guy indeed owes him that, let's say, $50 in the scenario that I gave before. So the shach explains that this is where it has a ramification, whether you listen to the plaintiff first or the defendant first. And that's the reason why the Torah says, and the Torah says you should first listen to the plaintiff. Okay? Now, think about it this way. If you think of it from this perspective, really, whatever the person owes, meaning whatever the defendant owes, he already owes. He really should have paid it. It shouldn't have come to this. In other words, it shouldn't have come to this where the guy has to drag him all the way to court, has to sue him in front of the rabbis in order to get what's duly his, in order to get his money that he owes to him. So being that he was, so to speak, felonious in not having paid the money, therefore the onus is on him and therefore the plaintiff gets to make his argument first, thus perhaps putting him into a situation, putting him into a, 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 a cornering him, that is, if I may, that he comes to be to, to be a modem amixas, and then he has to either swear, which is a very serious thing, or he has to pay. Now, the Talmud continues and says, although this is the case in general, and this is what we glean from this verse, yet there are certain scenarios, there are certain cases in which we actually are niskakim lenit patchila. We actually um, attend to the defendant first. When is that? Hechidami, the Talmud asks, Hechidami, what kind of scenario would this be? In what kind of circumstance? And the Talmud answers, the Kozile Nichse, that if you see that as a result of his, um, his owing the money to the defendant, to the, to the plaintiff, that is, if the, that's the defendant owing the money to the plaintiff, now he may come to lose money because his va- his properties become cheapened now. They depreciate, either because the market depreciated or maybe even because now he is desperate to sell. He's desperate to unload his property so he can pay what he owes. And as a result, he's going to be in a very bad position. Then you turn the tables around, says the Talmud, and, and you um, first deal with the defendant you allow him to give his argument first, thus eliminating the possibility of him becoming a modemiktas, of him being cornered into that corner. So the idea is that if he didn't pay, not because he was felonious, not because he was, you know, he was chutzpedik, he did something wrong, but because his circumstances didn't allow, it didn't make sense, then we don't penalize him, we actually work with him, Okay. Now, as we said in the introduction, everything in the Torah, when we say everything in the Torah, I mean in the nigla part, in the revealed part of the Torah, such as the Tanakh, such as the Talmud, such as Halacha, all that always carries also a deeper meaning. If you take it to a deeper level, not only does it expose the deeper meaning, in, in terms of one's service to Hashem, but perhaps at times it actually even helps us, it shines a light and helps us better understand the halacha as it is, why it is the way it is, why Hashem dictated that we do what we do. In other words, by getting, so to speak, the soul of it, the pnimius of it, 
um, we get a better appreciation of it. Plus, of course, we get a direction, a better uh, um, lesson in how to serve Hashem. So the same is over here. If that's in general, the same is over here. And over here, really, if we take a glance, if we take a look at this halacha, there seems to be some very curious, uh, some curious questions that we can ask on, on the on the commentary of the shach, on the shach's ruling. Remember that he said that the reason why you deal with, you attend to the plaintiff first is because this way you, you, you give her the opportunity, you set up the opportunity, you set up the scenario that it should be able to come to a, the case of a modal mitzvah, thus he wouldn't lose out. So the question is, it seems, at least it seems from the Talmud, it seems from the way the Talmud understands the verse, that the, ver, the, the, the verse says, Ad mi baldvorim yov whoever has any legal matter should come to you. And from there, the Talmud deduces that, you know, if anybody has a legal matter, meaning one is the plaintiff, one has the issue, he gets addressed first, he gets attended to first. It seems that that's across the board. In other words, where does the shach come and say no, that the only real difference that it really plays a role or the ramification of it is only in a specific case, only a specific scenario where it may lead to a modem mixus. That seems to be a little curious. However, the way we're going to explain it, according to Pnimius HaTorah, according to the inner teachings of the Torah, namely according to Chassidus, it's going to actually make sense. And we'll begin with, think of it this way, think of it in these terms. In terms of serving Hashem, in our spiritual service of Hashem, most cases, most cases, if not all, of, quote, plaintiff and defendant, toveya and itba, involve, most of the time it involves also a matter of, a scenario of, a modem emitzas. How is that so? In the spiritual life of a Jew, who is the plaintiff? Who is the one that's trying to demand? Who is the one that has an argument? He wants to take possession of the Jew, of something of the Jew. That is the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah, the evil of the nation, first he makes a slip up. First he causes us to sin. And then he uses that, he uses that as his argument to say, wait, this person is now mine. This person is now in my side of the game. In other words, I demand full and absolute authority and control on this person's life. Because you see, the person sinned. So the person belongs to me. The person is in my territory. The person should be under my authority, under my rule, under my guidance. Totally and absolutely. There comes the nitba, the defendant, the Jew, the person. And he says... I am modem bemiktsas. I am only partially admitting. What does it mean he's a partial admission? You see, because yes, I cannot defy, deny the fact that I did slip up, that I did do the sin, either an actual sin or even a sin in the sense of the actual meaning of the word sin, which means a deficiency. I didn't do everything I was supposed to do. I was deficient. I was lacking in my service of Hashem. Granted, it's true. I can't deny that. I cannot argue with a fact, with the reality. However, 
That's not who I am. That's not totally me. That's not the sum total of who I am. Because we know that every Jew, first of all, has a neshama, has a soul. The soul is not even capable of sinning. The soul does not really play an active role in the sin or in the deficiency of doing Torah mitzvahs. Moreover, even the person himself that did sin, sin, meaning let's look at it from the aspect of the body of the person as he is in the physical world, even that part of the person, the Talmud itself states that even Rishoyim, even the most wicked ones, they are, quote, full of mitzvot, like a pomegranate is full of seeds. That is its fruit. In other words, really, what is the true essence of a Jew? Of a Jew? What is the true composition of every Yid? Not just the neshama of the Yid, but even the body of the Jew. Torah mitzvahs, good, good. In other words, even when the Jew sins, that cannot become the totality of who he is. That's only a little part of it. So the Jew is modeb mitzvahs. He's only partially admitting, so to speak, um, any connection to the Yitzhahara, any connection to sin. And this you can actually see in the verse itself. Go back to the verse from where we learned this concept of modeb mitzvahs. Look how it spells it out. It says, al var pesha. Literally, the word pesha means felonious, meaning doing an act of sin, doing something wrong, a felony, something bad. And then it continues, and it gives some examples of various types of animals or objects. And then it says, val aveda, and any lost thing. What is lost? Lost is when you didn't actively do something wrong. You just lost. You missed out. You didn't do enough. You were lacking in the totality of what you were supposed to do. But in any case, what does the Jew say? Ki This is it. Look at the words in the verse. It's only this. It's only small part of it that I fell or for the Eight Sahara, that I connected myself to the Eight Sahara. But really, I, I have nothing to do with this. It's not who I am. And here comes the resolution. Here comes the ruling. The ruling is, you're chayiv a shvua. You have to take an oath. What is a shvua? A shvua really means you need to, when, you, when somebody takes an oath, what they're really doing is they're re-emphasizing something. They're giving themselves like an added boost, an added uh, strength and energy, especially considering, as we learn in Tanya, that the true meaning of the word shvua, oath, can also come from the word sova, sevia, which means to satiate which means to fill up the neshama with extra strength. You're taking a shvua, you take an oath, and you say, I rededicate myself, I recommit myself to Hashem, because I was modem emiktas, and therefore I don't belong to the Eight Sahara. And with that, Hashem gives us another full load of, uh, um, fills us up with a full load of energy and strength to be able to carry on and to continue doing what we're supposed to do. Now, we know that in general, Taking any oath is a very, very serious matter. And it's something that really one should really distance himself from it. In fact, it's a very scary thing as described in the Talmud. And they would take all means and measures to avoid any possibility of one falling into a scenario where they are obligated to take an oath. Because taking an oath is not a light matter. And therefore, and therefore, since we try to avoid it at all costs, therefore there are certain scenarios there are certain cases where we make every effort to avoid this shvua, to avoid this oath. And that's where the second part of the ruling comes in from the Talmud, again, in a spiritual perspective, where it says that there are times when we first attend to 
the defendant because when we see that his quote, his possessions, his properties will become depreciated. What does that mean? What does that mean in the service of Hashem? So the Rebbe introduces a very interesting story, which actually on the surface is a very curious story, that the Talmud relates in Tractate Brachot. Over there it tells us a story about Rabbi Yechonon ben Zakkai, who was one of the greatest of sages, and in the Talmud he earns the title of one of the greatest of tzaddikim. You can imagine amongst the sages, all the sages, he's considered to be way up here on the top in terms of piety and righteousness. And yet, right before his passing, when the students are standing around him, they see that he's crying. He was distraught. And they asked him, what is this about? Why are you, why are you upset? And he says, well, I don't know in what way they're going to take me. Are they going to take me to the Gan Eden? Or, God forbid, am I going to Gehenna? Now, of course, there's several questions that could be asked over here. First of all, you're such a great tzaddik. Why are you in doubt? Why are you worried? You've done so much. You've accomplished so much. This, this is a man who did not stop teaching Torah and spreading Torah and encouraging others and guiding others throughout his entire life. Every minute, every second of his time was dedicated to the community, to teaching Torah to others. Why would he be concerned? Moreover, number two, think about it. If this is really a legitimate concern, why are you waking up about it now? Why are you thinking about it now? Why now are you concerned? Shouldn't you be concerned about it years ago and try to do something about it? Now it's too late. Now you're about to pass away. Your your moments to your passing. Your neshama is about to depart. Why are you thinking about it now? Of course, the Rebbe says, it's not that Rabbi Yochanan Mezake was thinking about himself, whether he's going to get rewards, you know, whether he has enough brownie points or not. We're talking about Rabbi Yochanan Mezake was concerned as far as he, his level, what level of Kedusha, what level of holiness is he on? Is he on the level where he really belongs in Ganeiden? Or God forbid, maybe he's not on the proper level and therefore he's deficient and therefore the opposite. But in any case, the question still remains, what exactly was going on here? And the Rebbe explains, this is what happened. You see, every person, every Jew is given a certain amount of time to live. An exact amount of time. And that amount of time is tailored to the mission that that particular person has in the world. In other words, whatever that person was charged with doing in the world, whatever their assignment is, Whatever their purpose is, they're given enough time, years, months, weeks, days, hours, minutes, seconds, exactly to be able to accomplish all that they have to accomplish. Thus, when a person wastes time, when a person does not utilize some of the time properly, they're actually wasting time, they're actually cheapening their property, their possession. What is our true possession? What do we really own? This is what we have. The time we have in life is our resources, our, so to speak, estate, our property from where we can draw the ability to do what we have to do. When a person doesn't utilize the time properly, or even the Rebbe asks, sometimes if we misuse it, we misappropriate the time, we use it for something else, but not for that which we were supposed to do at that time, whatever it is that is designated for us to do, then we are now cheapening, we are now lessening, we are now losing the value of our property. And therefore, it's not appropriate to waste time for what we're supposed to do. So Rabbi Yechonon ben Zakkai, he knew 
that his mission, his purpose is to teach. His purpose is to work with his students, to teach Am Yisrael, to teach Klal Yisrael. And therefore, he can never think about himself. He didn't think about himself. He didn't have time to think about himself. He couldn't waste a moment from his task, from his mission, from his, from his real true purpose that he had in life. Only right before he's passing away. When he had completed everything he had to do, now he was thinking about himself and he's thinking, oh, where do I stand? What do I do? In other words, what, where am I? He never thought about himself. Likewise over here, this is the idea. When a person is, meaning the defendant, when a person is, is being hounded by the Eight Sahara, the Eight Sahara is trying to take possession of the person. And the Eight Sahara comes to offer his argument and say, this person belongs to me. And you see that this person's property, his time will become devalued, depreciated, if he has to start spending time arguing with the eight Sahara back and forth, and then he's going to come to make an oath, and the oath is something which really you shouldn't do, and only through the oath is he going to get, you know, to get to get the extra strength to get out of the clutches of the eight Sahara. That's where Hashem steps in and says, wait, you know what? Sometimes, although that's the rule, but sometimes we turn the tables around and we attend first to the defendant in order to avoid the possibility to avoid the scenario of him being cornered into a corner to to be able to to uh, to, to become obligated to have to swear and thus receive the energy. We'll just put it in a way where it's now the eight Sahara, the plaintiff against the defendant, in this case the Jew, and the Jew says, "I don't want anything to do with the eight Sahara. I don't belong to him. I'm, I have nothing to do with him." But since we turned it around, the little part that the Jew did do wrong, he already admits, he already confesses for. In fact, something very, very powerful, very interesting from another verse in our parsha, where it says, Hashem says, that I will fill the number of your days. It says over there that if you will follow what Hashem wants. In other words, when a, when a Jew shows true genuine desire to go in Hashem's ways, then what Hashem says is, I will fill your days. After it says, I'll give you a long life, it says, I'll fill your days. What does that mean? What it means is that even that which you have missed out on, you remember we said, you cheapened, you de you devalued your property, your time that you were given. Well, obviously, if a person has the Sahara running after him, the Sahara claiming that he belongs to him, that means that he did do something wrong. And it's just Hashem who turned the tables around and made it so that you shouldn't become a mode of emiktas. But you see, why did he do it so? Why did he do, Why does Hashem do it? Because you have dedicated yourself. You have submitted yourself to Hashem with absolute beetle. Then Hashem says, not only do I first listen to the defendant and thus you're not going to have to have a shvua, but as misfar yamecha amale, I will fill your days. In other words... Hashem has this infinite power to go back in time and fill those days and give you the ability, the potential now, right here, right now, with the little time you have left or without the, the, um, the, the time that, that was lost, but to make up, literally to make up for lost time.